This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Covaris, Ranchford Eye Center, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, a show that provides you with up-to-date medical information and answers all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and thanks for joining us this beautiful Saturday morning. Uh, Today is one of those days we're going to have a super guest, a repeat guest will be here, and that is Dr. Mary Gina Ratchford of the Ratchford Eye Centers. Uh, She's been on with us many times before, but uh, I've got some new questions for her, uh, especially regarding cataract surgery. Because here's a field that's really changing, and I'm a baby boomer, like a lot of you folks out there. And I had a conversation this week with an old friend who is my age, and he said, oh, by the way, next week I'm going to have cataract surgery. So with that, I didn't realize till that moment how old I've become. So we're going to chat with Dr. Ratchford about cataract surgery What's the best way to go about this in addition to a lot of eye problems? Uh, Tomorrow I'll be on the road. I'm heading back to Las Vegas for the Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association. Uh, This is an interesting medical conference. It's a talk I've never given before. Uh, But, you know, we think of athletes. When we think of athletes, we think football. We think baseball. We think of the traditional athletes. And Western sports athletes are a very interesting group from the standpoint that um, there are the rough stock events, which is usually uh, bear bronc, saddle bronc, and bull riding. And then there are these roping events. And then there are events women participate in, uh, barrel racing, things such as that. And each one is almost a separate sport. One thing is for sure, though, in the rough stock events, the most common injury is concussion, and that's why they invited me out there to speak. So uh, I'm looking forward to getting out there and uh, meeting with the folks there. Another term I learned this week, and I never heard of, I was listening to a podcast, and that is tactical athletes. Tactical athletes. And tactical athletes are first responders when you think about it. So these are SEAL team, military people, uh, firefighters, policemen, uh, EMS workers who are out there, and they fall into, again, they have certain athletic skills that they need to perfect and different types of workouts that help them perfect that. Tactical athletes, I think, are a special challenge because like the traditional athletes, their schedules are so erratic. They Many of them are shift workers. So their shifts are rotating. When do they get a time to really work from a cardiovascular standpoint? So we'll have more discussions about that. Uh, Here's something. uh, Stroke centers. Everybody hears the word stroke center. A recent study in JAMA Neurology looked at stroke centers and a program called Get With the Guidelines. Now, Get With the Guidelines are... Uh, It's a program by the American Heart Association and American Stroke Association. And they are quality of care partnerships and quality of care guidelines that are used. So what they did was they looked at 
two groups, those that fell into the quality of care guidelines and those who did not. So they looked at non-participating hospitals, participating hospitals. And what they found was those in participating hospitals had better outcomes. And those outcomes were based on the fact that they were more likely to have, those patients were more likely to have a multidisciplinary approach to their stroke. That means things like a swallowing evaluation, lipid evaluation, evaluation by a board-certified neurologist, all improved care. So it's important to really know if your local hospital, the hospital where they're bringing you, is part of a stroke center and the get with the guidelines criteria. Another thing that came up really was this week, boxing and Parkinson's disease. Now, we've talked about this, and recently we're starting to see more and more programs for patients with Parkinson's disease to get involved with boxing. Uh, I was on another talk show, and actually the host actually asked me, he said, well, aren't you concerned about these patients getting hit in the head? Well, they're not getting in the ring and hitting each other. Uh, When we talk about a boxing program, we're talking about the application of rhythm. So Parkinson's disease is a movement disorder, right? It, it, It is a problem with being able to initiate movement. So people have tremor, slow movements, bradykinesia, postural instability, falling. So with boxing, you have to develop a rhythm to your action. And with that, they are able to really show some improvement in their daily activities, such as the speed with which they can dress, eat, do things that they would normally do. They're able to maintain the speed and ease of doing those things by being involved in a boxing program. And we've talked about on this program also uh, for people with Parkinson's disease becoming involved in a dance program. Again, what's the common feature? It's that rhythm. It's the motion. So movement combined with rhythm really helps these patients. So um, something to keep in mind if you know of someone who has Parkinson's disease, something uh, they should really look into. One of the programs we've been following here is the Trinity Hospital. St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center still has that 61-day challenge going on. I'm involved in it as a participant. It's been great. It's been one of those things that doesn't cost any money and can impact your health. I've just, the big thing is, trying to cut sugar out of your diet. And in doing so, and just doing just like my not adding sugar to my coffee and staying away from a soda or a sweet drink, um, I feel better uh, overall in my health. I've had weight loss um, that I needed. So I advise people, even though the challenge is ongoing, you might get in here in the middle of it, uh, the New England 61-Day Channels, NE dot six one dash challenge at trinity health so let's get on that and uh something uh, i think you'll enjoy the last thing i want to talk about in this segment is a new thing a stress test for fitness and you may have heard that this came out this week the european society of cardiology published a paper and i love when i love when you can find something easy you can do 
that gives you an assessment of your health. In this case, they looked at 12,615 participants, and they had to climb stairs. You had to climb four flights of stairs. So they took people who were, you know, regularly worked out on treadmills and compared those to those and and compared those to people climbing stairs. So here's the test if you get a chance to do it. And again, with your doctor's permission. Not everybody should go out there, but if you can quickly climb four flights of stairs in 45 to 55 seconds. Okay, it doesn't make a difference if you're out of breath or not, okay? Just doing it in that period of time without stopping, you will have improved. You're in the best category in terms of your fitness. If you can't do it, it doesn't mean you're falling apart. It just means you need to change your fitness program to allow for more aerobic activity. What they found was that every measure, these metabolic equivalents that they used to measure, every metabolic increase produced a 9% drop in your risk of death from cardiovascular disease or cancer, or cancer. So we think about that. You're not going to have a heart attack if you're in great shape, but you're less likely to have cancer. So again, you know, we talk about 10,000 steps a day and a lot of good measures to look at your heart health. This is a new one. So if you get a chance, try it out. See how good how good a shape you're really in. And know that by being in that good a shape and by moving, just get moving, right? One of the things we know, sitting is the new smoking. So we really need to get out and move. You will live longer. And that's what we really want to do. And that's what we want to get out with better health. Okay, we're going to take a short break. Then we're going to be back with Dr. Mary Jean Ratchford. And we're talking ophthalmology today. We're talking about diseases of the eye, conditions of the eye. And I really want to get into the cataract surgery. The phone number's here, 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and my guest today in the studio is Dr. Mary Gina Ratchford. By way of full disclosure, Dr. Ratchford has been a partner of our program um, for many years um, and continues to be. And uh, since she has been on the program, she has become my ophthalmologist and that of my wife and my children. And uh, so I don't know if you could give somebody a better endorsement than the fact that you would let them operate on your eyes. Mary Gina, welcome. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here again. Uh, great to have you back. So let's talk a little bit. I know we start the same way, but I really want everybody to get a feel for what is an ophthalmologist and in the course of that differentiate between an optometrist and an optician? I know I ask every time, but there's so much confusion out there as to what you do as opposed to everybody else. Right. No, that's a, that's a great question. And, you know, as a, a collective eye care 
you know, provider community, you know, everyone uh, does play their role. And so um, an ophthalmologist, which I am, is a, a medical doctor. So we've gone through college and, you know, four years of medical school, got our medical degree, and then specialized in the treatment of eye diseases. And that encompasses both the medical and the surgical treatment of eye disease. So we do an extra three to five years after medical school training uh, all the different techniques and, and primarily surgical techniques to treat eye diseases. Now, even among the ophthalmologists, there are subspecialists that deal with specific kinds of disease. Things have gotten so complex and so complicated um, that there are retina specialists who specify who specialize in treatment of retinal disease. There are neuro-ophthalmologists who treat the neurology of your vision. Uh, there are cornea specialists, refractive surgeons. So, you know, even among those ophthalmologists, there are those that have uh, a subspecialty. An optometrist is also one who's gone to college and then specializes in the treatment, uh, mostly the measurement of uh, your glasses, contact lenses, and uh, diagnosis of some uh, medical conditions. Um, they uh, play an important role in sort of primary eye care where if you are wondering if you need a pair of glasses, uh, maybe have uh, a, you know a pink eye infection, um, they're maybe on the front lines of those kinds of things. They can certainly diagnose and treat some early stages of, of disease as well. Um, but do not do surgery, laser surgery, uh, any removal of any sort of uh, trouble around the eyelids, uh, nor any intraocular surgery. And then the opticians are ones who are primarily trained to uh, measure and fit you for a pair of glasses. Um, and again, all that technology really has gotten more advanced. So everybody uh, does have their, their role in kind of caring for your eye uh, in general. You know, one of the things medical students always come to us with are, how am I going to decide what specialty to go into? And uh, a recent article, and we talked about on the program, is, uh, you know, probably the best ways of looking at it are prestige, money, lifestyle, and passion. One of the things I've noted, uh, and my question for you is about burnout, mm -hmm. because we see yeah. that in a lot of specialties, yet most of the ophthalmologists I know practice in some way to a very old age. Right. Uh, you know, that's interesting because I've been reading a lot about that that burnout. And, um, you know, I think with our specialty um, in particular, uh, you know, we're not on the demands, like you were talking about this tactile athlete. You know, we're, our, our work is mostly office-based. Uh, we do a lot of microsurgery, so it's uh, very focused and detailed. Um, it doesn't require a lot of physical demands like maybe OB or orthopedics does. So I think if you can keep your physical health in check, you really can, you know, continue to, uh, you know, to, uh, to, to work for many, many years. And I think in general, our field is one of those where we really do a lot of good for people with immediate feedback. You know, I can have somebody have a cataract operation and they're so grateful the next day because they can see better. You know, we generally make people see better and look better. Um, you know, we're not talking about death and dying, which I, I think can play an emotional toll on you when you do that year after year. And it's not that we don't have to deliver bad news. I mean, there is nothing harder than to have a conversation with my 
80-year-old patient and say, listen, I don't think you can drive anymore. And, and those are tough conversations to have. But um, but I, I think along the scope of it, it, it really is um, more of a, a happier field to practice in, if I can phrase sure. it that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the big factors in burnout we always talk, we always hear about is the fact that you have to do so much desk work. Oh, yes. Uh, more than anything. I mean, right. it, it's a fair assessment. Yet in your office, it's one of the more efficient offices. You were one of the first people I've noted to have a scribe. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've been using a, a medical scribe for uh, even before we went to electronic system, but I've had to now use double the amount of people to do the same amount of work, mainly for the demands of what's required in that electronic chart. And I, I'm I I'm not one that was, you know, raised with computers. I type very slowly. I don't I don't want to turn my back to the patient. I want to look at them, you know, not only for so I can figure out what's going on with their eyes, but I do think that patient doctor relationship is important when I have when I'm looking at them, talking to them directly, and not looking at my screen. And so I've made a conscious choice. Yes, it does. You know, maybe add more. Uh, you know, for the bottom line, I'm paying more for these employees, but I, I do think that the trade off is worth it. I think as a patient, I like it. I yeah, mean, in the definitely. sense that yep. it's a very efficient way of getting through the office and very complete. So. Uh, You know, I think it's just a sign of the times. Right. I think so, too. I I think we don't have a choice but to go onto the electronic system. And, you know, you've got to be accurate in how you document. And that does take time. And so if you can delegate some of that to somebody who's trained to do it, I think it does make the office office more efficient. It makes a better patient experience. Uh, In the last two minutes before we have to take a break. What are the most common problems you're seeing every day? and, And has that changed? So um, I think there's bread and butter ophthalmology problems, which will never go away. Those are cataracts, which is just a natural aging change of the eye. Um, There are, you know, dry eye symptoms, which I think, you know, I see a lot of every day. That's sort of ocular surface issues. Macular degeneration is becoming, I think, more and more common and at a younger age. And I think along those same lines, I think we're seeing a lot more diabetics um, who are being diagnosed at a younger age, having their disease for longer and having the consequences, ocular consequences of that disease in particular. From an ocular standpoint with diabetes, do you think we're recognizing those changes sooner or we're seeing more of it? I think it's both. I think our ability to detect very, very early changes with some of our, of our new technology um, does allow us to intervene sooner, both in communication with the medical doctor saying, look, we're seeing these you know, hemorrhages in the back of the eye. Do we need to be a little bit more, you know, um, do we need to get their A1C down? Do we need to be monitoring this patient a little bit more carefully? Is the diabetes affecting their kidney function, you know, can we do something sooner so they're not developing some of those more major consequences? So I think it is a combination of both. Okay. We're going to take a break and then we're going to be back with my guest today, Dr. Mary Gina Ratchford. The phone number's here, 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. When we get back, we're going to be talking a lot about cataracts and multifocal lens implants something that was also a new term for me. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. 
I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and today we're with Dr. Mary Gina Ratchford of the Ratchford Eye Center. If you need to get in touch with Dr. Ratchford, let me give you the phone number, 860-829-8939. Her office is in Berlin. It's on uh, 1166 Farmington Avenue in Berlin, Connecticut. Uh, Great office. Uh, So I started out at the beginning of the show with a discussion that was a shock to me was that I am now of the age as as someone of the same age. Well, it's weird because you sit there when you see patients, right? Uh, Could that happen to me or whatever? But now here's a colleague who's the same age as me going to have cataract surgery. It happens. (laughs) So is that when you start seeing more of it? I mean, I'm 64. I mean, is that? Yeah. So um, so just to clarify, you know, a cataract is the lens of your eye – uh, that becomes cloudy. And the process really begins in that cloudiness, you know, probably somewhere in your 50s, and then gradually will cloud over the next couple of decades. And I think because we're so visually dependent these days on our screens and on, you know, super sharp, clear vision, people may become more symptomatic from their cataracts earlier than maybe our grandparents did. Um, but it is a natural thing that will happen. No matter where you live, no matter where you go, you're going to develop uh, a cataract. Um, the uh, the treatment for that uh, cataract is when you get to the point where you can't see as well as you want to or need to, then we want to replace that cloudy lens with a new clear lens. And that is one of the th- ways that we can you know restore that clear vision again. Well, let's take a call because we have a call. We have Joe on the line, and Joe is from East Haddam and has a question about cataracts. Joe, welcome to the show. Hi, welcome. Uh, Thank you very much for taking my call. I'm a 61-year-old guy, and uh, my eye vision has changed drastically. I went to the optometrist, and he was very thorough, spent nearly an hour with me and was looking over the pictures of my eye and saying, this is very good, this is good, I don't see any problems. And then at the very end, he says, you know, I think what I see is the very beginning of cataracts. Um, I'm going to send you to this ophthalmologist down the road, and and he's going to call and make an appointment with you. So great. I went there, and he looked at my eyes for about two minutes and said, I think what we need to do is replace both lenses now. And I think when he looked in my eyes, he saw dollar signs. Hmm. Well, that's that's pretty rough. You're yeah. you're a pretty tough guy there, Joe. Yeah. That's really pretty aggressive. Okay. Um, so I guess one of the questions is sometimes, okay, um, the optometrist had already done all the legwork. Um, so he could have repeated all that and done spent another hour of your time or – um, just taking a look in. I'm just trying to give you other ideas that may have been going on. So the question is, do you have cataracts or not? And if you do, do you need to get them removed? Something needs to happen because you're not seeing, right, Joe? Yeah, and he said, my optometrist said I definitely need prescriptions. They have changed dramatically. Wait, uh, but cataracts, well, let me ask, Mary yeah, Gina, is, okay. a new glass is going to change his right. cataracts? So, you know, just one of the things you said is, you know, cataracts can develop quickly. Most often they're slow. So I think if you had a sudden change in your vision, 
more than what we could attribute to the cataracts. I think we have to think about other things just to make sure. We make sure you're not a diabetic. Make sure you know none of the medications that you're on might cause the change of vision. Is everything else okay? So it, it sounds like your optometrist did a lot of that legwork. Yeah. Um, and what we tend to do is when you... Uh, are not seeing well, the first thing we like to do before surgery is really to see if new glasses are going to help. And sometimes they can, sometimes they can't. And even with new glasses, you still may experience some of the symptoms of cataracts, glare, sometimes you do need more light to read. And so those are some of the things that that we would go through really before recommending surgery. And, And uh, and if we just can't get success with either new glasses, with modification of activity, with dealing with these other things, then yes, you know, the next step is, um, you know, is the cataract surgery. And some, there's a lot of good relationships between optometrists and ophthalmologists. And so the ophthalmologist may know, listen, I know when you're coming here that you're really here for a discussion about surgery. So, you know, it, it may be that, you know, there's that um, understood relationship that, okay, you're here now to really talk about the surgery because we've tried everything else and, and you know, we're, these things aren't going to work. Right. So I, I hope that puts it in a little bit of perspective for you as well. Joe, and, and you know, worst come to worst, Joe? Get a second opinion. Right, exactly. Yep. Right? I'm always How do I go the... about doing that? Do I call my insurance company or? Um, you know, I would first maybe, uh, you know, talk to trusted friends or other people who have had a cataract operation, see who they went to. Um, and then if you get a name, then you, you may want to then go to your insurance company and say, listen, I want a second opinion. You know, is this person on my panel would be okay. And at that point, make, you know, you can make a, a making a second opinion. Uh, make an appointment. But I, I I would encourage anybody, if you have any questions, look, it's your eye, it's your sight, you know, to jump into something like surgery, you know, you really want to m- make sure that it's the next right step for you. Right. Um, I'll ask one more question and then I'm going to hang up and let you talk about it. Uh, he does uh, traditional surgery. And I've read some articles that say the laser surgery is, is much better. And uh, if you could just talk about that, I'd appreciate it. Okay, thank, sure. Thank, Happy thank to. Myself. Yeah, no, no, thank you, Joe. Sure. Um, so the the whole goal of cataract surgery is to remove the cloudy lens and put a new lens in. So no matter kind of where you go, that will be the basic goal of the surgery. Um, traditional surgery typically means that we use you know a blade to put our instruments into the eye. Uh, we may use, uh, we, we all use this sort of ultrasonic probe to break up that cataract into small pieces. It leaves a little membrane behind and we put a new lens in. The new lens, there are options and maybe we can talk about this but a yeah, little bit later. The, yeah, we can do we'll it now. talk about it now, the multifocal lens. Okay. What the heck is it? All right. So, um, so to... To uh, replace the lens, that is pretty much straightforward. Where the laser comes in is in some eyes, we can pre-treat your eye with laser before we get you into the operating room to actually remove the lens. Reasons we might use the laser is if we want to correct small amounts of astigmatism. Astigmatism is the shape of your eye. If your eye is not shaped perfectly round in every dimension, that is what describes astigmatism and the light will bend differently through an eye that has astigmatism versus not. So for one who wants to achieve independence from glasses, then we may use the laser to correct small amounts of astigmatism. 
The other reason we may use laser is if you have a very dense cataract because it can soften up that lens before it before we go into the operating room to remove it. Now, in our scientific literature, there is no definite evidence that the laser will give you a better outcome than traditional surgery in terms of its technique. Um, there may be some time advantages. There may be, again, if it's a denser lens, certainly with astigmatism correction, it can help. But in terms of safety, I, I don't necessarily think that the data would support that it's a safer procedure in someone who's an experienced surgeon. The other thing to uh, consider when you're having an operation is what kind of lens do you want in your eye? And the basic difference is a monofocal lens, a toric lens, and a multifocal lens. A monofocal lens, monofocal, one focal point. Either far, and you wear glasses for near, or a near focal point, and you wear glasses for distance. And that really depends on your lifestyle, your previous refraction, what you plan on doing for the next few, you know, few years. It doesn't mean you're not going to see well. It just means you're choosing to wear glasses for one or the other. A toric lens does correct larger amounts of astigmatism. And again, that is uh, if you wish to not wear glasses after your surgery, you can choose to have this toric lens implanted to correct astigmatism. Now, for those brave ones who really say, listen, Dr. Radford, please, please, please do anything you can to get me out of glasses, then this multifocal lens is an option. And get multifocal, there's multiple points of focus with the lens that's implanted in the eye. Those lenses are not for everybody. You really have to have a 100% perfectly healthy eye. Anyone that's got macular disease, corneal disease, some cases of glaucoma, you may not be a good candidate. The other um, is that you, you, you sort of have to have the, quote, right personality. And I, and I say that in a most respectful way. If you're somebody who is very fussy about your glasses being perfectly clean all the time or you're constantly cleaning your windshield because you want that crystal clear vision, the multifocal may not be for you because they're, even though you do gain more freedom from glasses, there is a trade-off of some contrast sensitivity loss with these multifocal lenses. So for those who are considering it, it really you have to have a really you know long conversation, really think about the pros and the cons of those lenses. Um, that technology is only getting better as we learn how to you know kind of reduce some of that contrast sensitivity. Um, but it is a new technology that I, I think is really exciting that's only going to get better. Will it make it dizzy? I mean, in other words, if you're looking at different focal points right. within the lens and your eyes are moving, right, could you get dizzy from it? Yeah, no, dizziness isn't one of the things that we see. I, I think one of the so, – so when we look at the actual physical lens, there's these concentric rings that are embedded in the lens. Oh, okay. So when your pupil's small, you're looking through the center, but at night when your pupil dilates, you can get glare and halos around lights because of those multifocality. And that's why if you're really fussy, 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 you might be bothered by that glare. Okay. Um, so, so again, you sort of have to know yourself and have that conversation with your ophthalmologist about whether or not you would be a good candidate. <laughs> it's kind of like <laughs> sometimes you have to be Dr. Phil. Well, sometimes right? you do, know, right? To, you have to put the Dr. <laughs> Phil hat on. Right. Um, with that, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back again with Dr. Mary Gina Ratchford. As always, we're taking your questions at 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. 
All right, finally, one of the non-banned Christmas greetings. I hear they're banning certain ones, uh, certain <laughs> Christmas songs. As always, when Dr. Ratchford is on, we get a lot of questions. So we have some questions lined up. We're going to try and get through them as quickly as we can. We're going to start with Sue in Tolland. Sue, you have a question for Dr. Ratchford. Yes, I had a uh, car accident, and immediately after I noticed uh, part of my sight in my right eye was like gone, half of it. So they said I had a traumatic ocular cataract, which I had removed and a lens replaced. And um, I haven't had any problems except certain lights I see, like out of the corner of my eye, my... Um, like if you if you made a fan out of a bunch of little needles, it's almost like that. And but other than that, no problems at all. Okay. And I was just wondering about uh, traumatic ocular cataracts. I never heard of them before in my life. Yeah. Thank so, you. So for sure, you we're can... gonna ha- we're gonna hang up on you and and yep, and just fine. talk about it so we can move through. Go ahead. Yeah. So a quick thing, you can develop a cataract other than age. You know, that could be medication related, certainly can be traumatic. So that when you, any impact on the lens can change the proteins that can cloud that lens. Um, we do treat it the same. We put a, a new lens in your eye. We have to make sure that lens is stable. So when we worry about an injury, there's a little support um, fibers. They're called zonules that suspend your natural lens. And if they've been injured in the trauma, the lens might wiggle a little bit more, and that could be the reason that you see these sort of extra lights. The other thing to uh, remember is that a natural lens has, it's, it's nothing is as good as what you were born with. Your natural lens has curvature on the front and the back. When we put an artificial lens in, it's more flat and thin. And so the light does bend a little bit differently. Your pupil can expand a little bit, particularly in the cases of trauma. And so some of that may be related to the artificial lens or to the trauma of the eye. And so I I think when you get for your follow-up, you can maybe ask those questions and certainly bring those symptoms up so that we can make sure nothing more needs to be done. Okay, great. We have Jean in West Hartford. Jean, you had a question about multifocal lenses? Yes, exactly. Thank you very much for taking my call. Yes, I'm I'm wondering, um, I hadn't heard that described that way, um, but I'm wondering, I actually have currently multifocal contact lenses. Okay. And um, I don't use them all the time. I do feel like they're not quite as, um, as great in terms of not because they're multifocal, but because uh, especially maybe on my close-up vision, I feel like I still get a better uh, sight vision with my regular glasses if I'm really going to do some reading. Right. So my question is, is that very similar to the whole thing that you're talking about in terms of the multifocal lenses when they replace when they do the cataract surgeries. Great question, Jean. We're going to hang up and we're going to answer your call. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Okay, so a multifocal contact lens is a little bit different. It's weighted, okay? And there is a little bit more of a blend between the center and the periphery of a contact lens. It's not these sort of these distinct rings. And there is limitation of these multifocal or a, a multifocal 
contact lens is how well your vision will be. Typically, there is only so much power that we can put in. It doesn't necessarily give you a good range like a pair of glasses would. So um, that design is uh, not quite the same as you would get with a multifocal lens. In a multifocal intraocular lens, you're going to have more definite focal points that are more distinct. Um, and there still may be uh, areas with a multifocal intraocular lens that are not as clear as others, again, just based on how that lens has to be uh, designed and manufactured. So I think it's, 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 it's a little bit of a different kind of vision with a multifocal contact lens versus a multifocal intraocular lens. Okay, great. Uh, we're going to get Kevin on next. Kevin had a question. Cataracts, your eyes fog up. Yes. What do you got? Uh, <clears throat> Dr. Ratchford, this is a, this is Kevin. I'm calling from Middletown. I, I have, a, um, in my left eye, I had cataract surgery probably, I think it's like four or five years ago. But when I take a, a hot shower, my left eye with that had the cataract surgery fogs up. Um, and then it stays fogged up for hours after that. Um, if it's a cold shower, it doesn't, doesn't bother it nearly as much. But, um, and, it, and when I talk to my eye doctor about it, he just says, well, wow, that's weird. And then doesn't have any any way to resolve it. So I was just wondering if you've ever heard of such a thing. Kevin, going to hang up, and we're going to resolve your problem because <laughs> I've not heard of it, but it makes sense. Okay. Yeah, so I don't think that's the intraocular lens. You know, the intraocular lens is really protected from the outside environment. It's implanted, so it doesn't have any access to temperature or any other changes in the environment. I would worry a little bit more about your cornea with that symptom. Um, the cornea, there's there, there can be some swelling of the cornea in some early diseases, corneal diseases that could certainly explain um, that, and there's... Uh, special tests that we can do to measure what's called the endothelial cell count, which is the inner layer of your cornea, to see if perhaps that could be a reason. Um, the other thing that we do worry about is the ocular surface, the lids and the lashes. Is there something happening in the heat that releases oils from the lids that may contribute to that blurred vision? So I, I certainly think this is something that should be investigated further, but I, I don't think it's due to that intraocular lens from the cataract. We've got two minutes. We have Sal. Sal, you have a question. Yes, I do. Vitamins. Um, basically, my parents uh, had eye problems. My father had wet macular degeneration. My mom had problems as well. Okay. Now, I go to an ophthalmologist. I've been going. I'm 66. And basically, I've taken ARIDS, too, for like the last three to four years. Okay. Is, is that probably what you would recommend is there any any other measures that one could take just to you know try to stave off the you know the eyes failing right. great question yeah. sal gonna hang up and answer it arids vitamins okay yeah that's a great question so in macular degeneration there is a study that did show benefit from um, uh, vitamins that can help slow down the course of macular degeneration um, it really showed benefit when you had changes in the macula, pigmentary changes, um, and you actually were not a good vegetable eater. So if, you are, have your, if your diet is sort of lacking in dark green leafy vegetables, then the vitamins can help. If you've got a genetic risk family member, you have no changes in your eyes, there's no actual benefit from the vitamins. Now, one could argue, you know, am I getting ahead of the game by using the vitamins? I would say, look, if it's going to make you feel better, it's not going to hurt you. But I wouldn't do that in absence of looking at your diet, no smoking, wearing sunglasses, getting regular eye checkups. That's going to be more beneficial in the long run. That's great. Uh, 
I'm going to – we're out? Yeah, we're out. Okay. So uh, if anybody else had questions, email them over to me. The email is info at alessimd.com, and I will get those questions to Dr. Ratchford to get them answered. Um, Mary Gina, thank you. We set a new record. Yeah, thank you so much. In terms of number of questions and gotten everything in, Um, I want to thank you uh, for partnering with us on our program uh, and for everything you do for the community for better vision. Thank you. Thank you so much, and happy holidays. All right. Next week we're going to be on, and we're going to be chatting about peripheral nerve disease, Lou Gehrig's disease, um, and topics such as that. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Ratchford Eye Center, Covaris, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.